0: Hi, and welcome to five compelling questions with Sean. This is the podcast where we speak with writers about their work, um, the writing process, the creative process. And we do that in a series of five five main questions. And then we always end up asking a whole bunch of other kind of sub questions and then there's more questions at the end. So it's not really five questions. It's a lot of questions, but we have a good time. Um, My guest today is Carol. Pouillet. I say Pouillet. So we have, I have a running joke. I can't say French things unless it's food. So pronounce your name. It's Pouillet.
1: Pouillet. See, I we say Pouillet. Yeah, that would be E-T. This is O-T. So yeah. yeah, it's a hard name to pronounce and most people don't get it. You did actually much better than most people. <laughs> well, I've known, you li- I've known
0: you for a little while. Pouillet. Right. And sometimes I do say Pouillet in my mind, but, um, <laughs> yes i it's funny because i'm like why can't i say french things i should be, and i've been to france twice but you used to
1: teach french right did you teach oh yeah french? 35 years yeah so you <laughs> From middle school all the way through college i taught every level wow in so, spanish too yeah really and German. yeah are you and fluent English. English.
0: <laughs> are you fluent in all those um romance language? Um,
1: I, I'm still fluent in French and Spanish. Um, I'm not fluent in German. I haven't spoken that in a long time. When I was living in France, I taught English. Um, but here in this country, I taught French and Spanish. Cool.
0: Well, that's cool. I took yeah. Spanish um, um, as a young person because I grew up in South Florida. And they just Spanish, they just have it, you know, for everyone. Yeah. You just have oh, yeah, take, it's everywhere. Have it. Yeah.
1: So I yeah, took I it
0: actually, early on.
1: Yeah yeah I have some friends from South America that live in Miami now
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's it's um there's back in when I was there, and I'm sure it is still you know it's you have to speak Spanish to get make your way around some place some neighborhoods in some places, but it which is lovely because um it's just such a rich culture and it's fun and it's hot it's nice it's a nice <laughs> place to grow up. it's a fun place to grow up. yeah so I will give you a brief intro for those that don't know, yeah. Um, Carol, a Francophile at age 11, but we already kind of touched on that, so we know. Carol dreamed of getting her passport and going to Paris. After a master's degree in French at Stony Brook University, she headed to Marseille, right, France? (laughs) I got that one, for her first teaching job. She taught French and Spanish for over 30 years in upstate New York. She also founded an agency that provided translations in over 24 languages. Carol is the author of The Blackwell and Watson Time Travel Mysteries, which include Doorway to Murder, Threshold of Deceit, Death Ring the Bell, which just came out recently, and the upcoming RSVP to Murder number four. When not writing, Carol can be found reaching for her passport and packing a suitcase for her next adventure. Well, welcome to the show, Carol. Thank you so much for having me. Good. It's been, it seems like you should have been on here already. You've been around for a while and I haven't, um, haven't been on having you on, have I?
1: Well, well, with the first two books, you weren't doing this yet. So this is really my first chance. So, no, you got me when when it was able to be done. So we're good. (laughs) There we are. Okay, first question for Carol. Uh, How did your writing career get started? Um, I had been retired for about five years, I think. And for a long time, I had a memory um, sort of bouncing around my mind about when my mother took my sister and me back to school shopping. It was the summer I was uh, 15, going to be 16 in the fall. And I had worked several jobs and I had money to spend. And I was excited about buying something with my own money for the first time. And I remembered every detail. It made an enormous impression on me and I wanted to write it down. So at the time, I had been getting um, Victoria Magazine. I had a subscription for a long time. And for people who don't know that, it's a woman's magazine, has all the typical features in it, but it's a a gentle kind of uh, vibe, sort of the Victorian age. And they have a feature called Chimes. It's always on the back page. And, you know, avid readers always go there first. And basically it's a memoir. And I thought to myself that, my memory would be very appropriate for this feature. So I sat down and I wrote it and then tweaked it a little, took me about 45 minutes or an hour and I sent it in. It was an afternoon, like around three o'clock. The next morning, I mean, less than 24 hours later, the editor called me and she said, oh my God, where have you been publishing? Yes, we want this and we want more. And I said, "Well, this is the first thing I ever wrote." She said, "Oh my goodness! Okay, yeah, you know, we are going to publish, you know, some of your stuff." So it was amazing. You know, I danced around the kitchen with total joy, and it it did two things: <laughs> a good and a not so good. It gave me the confidence to just jump into the novel that had been, you know, tickling at the back of my mind, and it also gave me completely unrealistic expectations of Um, the process in the publishing world, less than 24 hours to to hear back from an editor, you know, that's science fiction. Um, Everybody, you know, and and I too now know that, you know, things don't happen that fast, but uh, it was wonderful. I did two articles for them, um, the memoir types. Um, They wanted me to do um, more, longer articles, but they had a limit of, uh, they wanted to have as many uh, different authors in an issue and, and during the year as possible. So I wanted to write a lot more than that. So that's when I said, I'm just going to jump in and, and write a novel. So that was that.
0: Very good. Well, yeah, that was um, early encouragement is always good, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, really gave me confidence.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Well, good. I'm glad you, I'm
1: glad you stuck with it and carried on. Um, me too. I love yeah. it. You know, I mean, when I wrote that piece, I had just a, a, a complete sense of satisfaction and joy wash all over me. It was like anything I had done before. It was like every atom and molecule in my body settled into place for the first time in my life. And I was like, oh, this is where I need to be. This is what I need to be doing for the rest of my life yeah it was it was a really cool experience yeah
0: that's great so you write um a time travel mystery series part of it is set current day and part of it is set in in the 30s right right Mm -hmm. so how did you arrive at the premise of this series
1: well it's a very strange story and a couple of my friends um when i actually told them a few years ago told me never say this in public but I have been telling people who asked because um, it's the honest answer to the question. So what happened is this. I was <clears throat> in my late 20s. I was in my first apartment living alone. It was a school night. It was the middle of the night. And I sleep very deeply. And in a flash, I woke up with all my senses like on high alert. I could feel somebody in the apartment. And for anyone who lives alone, or if you've ever lived alone, you know when somebody else is nearby. I don't know why, but at least I have a sense when someone's visiting or something, you feel it, it feels different. So I turned over and I opened my eyes and I kept a light on um, in the living room. So I was looking straight to the end of the bed, to the doorway, to down the hall and into the living room. There was a man standing at my bedroom door. Oh my. I don't know why I didn't have a heart attack right there. I was paralyzed with fear. I was absolutely terrified. I mean, my heart was pounding out of my chest My brain was going, oh, my God, oh, my God, how do I get out? How do I get out? And he looked in, sort of craned his head, peered in the room. Then he stood up, he shook his head, turned and walked through the wall. Oh, "Oh my God, what the heck? So I sat up, I turned on the light, and I shook uncontrollably for probably a half hour. That was the first night. It happened four nights in a row. <laughs> oh my After the first night, I, I wasn't scared because, you know, I knew he wasn't real. He wasn't going to hurt me, but I didn't know what was going on, who he was. I mean, I can still remember him like it was yesterday. 5'10", medium build, dark brown hair, uh, brown and dark green flannel shirt and dark pants like work pants kind of a thing. I mean, he's vivid. Oh, and when he turned, I saw his profile, Roman nose, hmm. absolutely. You know, and um, so anyway, by the fourth night, I thought, well, I, I have to say something. <laughs> you know, so I I said when when he when I woke up and I saw him, I said, "Are you real?" And I never saw him again, oh. and I never told anybody. This was 1979. I never told anybody until a couple of years ago when somebody asked me how I got the idea for the books. I mean, I just, I don't know what it was. I mean, I don't do drugs. I wasn't (laughs) drinking. I wasn't sleeping. I was purely awake. He was feet away. I saw him. Um, So I, over the years, you know, I just left it in the back of my mind. And um, once Uh, One time I I was reading something um, about Einstein and he had a theory that um, there is no past, present and future that all time happens simultaneously. And if conditions are right, he believed time could fold over and reveal another time. So I thought, now that would be the cool idea. Like, what if that's what happened? And I saw this guy, because his hair was slicked back. He did not look modern in any way. And so that was the idea. I love mysteries. I've always read mysteries. um, And I knew it was a no-brainer that I was going to write a mystery. But how much fun would it be to have it take place in two times, but close enough together so they could connect? Because there are characters in Stephen's time that Olivia knows in her time and that's important for the, the series. You know, there's one character who's a young girl in 1934 who Olivia knows as her best friend Sophie's grandmother. And that woman is the key to the whole series in book seven. The mm-hmm. key to the whole series. So I, I I I chose, you know, 1934 and in 2014 as an 80-year separation where they could know each other or they could know people in each other's time. So anyway, so that's what it is based on a very strange experience and Einstein. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. I I feel like time has folded over on itself in our current day because I never know what day it is or year. (laughs) It's like, like, every day is the same. (laughs) I keep saying, oh, when we did that last year, we didn't do anything last year. So that, you know, that I don't, I do feel like time is sort of relative to, you know, your consciousness because I don't yeah. know what happened i can't tell but i've never been good with that i've never been able to like pinpoint dates and things in the past i just i kind of remember like how cold it was or warm it was where i was because i'm very <laughs> sensitive to the elements but um yeah. but that is very fascinating story did you ever um do any research into the place you were living i'm assuming you were an apartment like yeah an i was building in, um, or
1: something or did it have well, it was it, w- it was in it was a, like a complex like a new complex really you know, a box kind of a thing I um, I did go to a town office, and I don't remember now what the name of that office would have been, to see if there was a house there or a farm there. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as I can remember now, because you know we're talking forty years ago, um, as far as I can remember, there was a house uh, and a farm there, but I didn't pursue it. And honestly, I think I didn't pursue it because I was teaching full-time, running my translating agency full-time at the same time. And I was doing some work for USAID. I used to run um, international business seminars for them. And I was um, in the middle of putting on this, you know, getting ready to put on this big seminar. So I just didn't have the time. And then it got away from me and I never... You know, went back. I suppose I could do that now. I could, yeah. I could still go over to that town and and research it. But yeah, you know, since
0: you're writing, you know, try to find of, the
1: time. Yeah, yeah, you know, time. <laughs> yeah time Exactly.
0: Is time is the uh, the key, the key word.
1: Well, that's yeah. interesting.
0: I think I would have had a freak attack. I had a I, think- I had an ex boyfriend break into my apartment, and hide in my closet one time because um Ooh. I was dating somebody new and he just broke in and I walked in and I thought, well, why am I dog? Because I had dogs. I'm like well they're acting usually they're more excited when I come home then that was the only thing I picked up I'm like they're, they're just like yeah. oh she's home uh, like, eh, okay but I was like I should have realized you know somebody had already that's been in there like, like, giving them <laughs> yeah. treats and stuff and I'm like oh so I didn't put you know you don't put two two together see that wasn't pleasant but um you know he just left I just told him to leave and yeah, that was that? But I was like, okay, so yeah, mine was thank more you in... for reinforcing the fact that I broke up with you. scared <laughs> <You're> crazy. <laughs> the case closed. I don't have to wonder about you anymore because you're insane. Yeah. So. Well, at least you
1: have an answer to your break in. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: mine was totally. You know, I never got one. Jealous yeah. insanity is my reason for mine. <laughs> um, Yeah, which also is not fun. But at least I wasn't as scary as yours. That sounds so scary. I wouldn't know what to do.
1: Yeah, I didn't either. I I would probably move out. I don't think I would be like
0: hanging out for the fourth night. I'd be (laughs) like, I would have gone home and like slept with my mom's in my old bed or something.
1: You know, I was intrigued. I mean, when he walked through the wall, I I immediately calmed down because I knew this wasn't like a quote unquote real person who was gonna do me physical harm. And I just got intrigued at that point, you know? So, you know, that's the kind of character I created with Olivia, obviously, you know, he became Stephen. And then I created Olivia um, to be that kind of curious person. and um, I don't know, so far it's working very well yeah, for. Yeah. Them. yeah
0: yeah well, this is a good uh, podcast for the for Halloween because it's a ghost story. so we'll have
1: yeah, a, well, this there will
0: you be a, this will be our Halloween episode. Special special ghost episode. Paranormal <laughs> <Yeah>. And scary <laughs> ex-boyfriend, so it's all it's all kind
1: perfect, perfect. Yeah. Well, actually, yours I think is scarier. <laughs>
0: yes, trust me, it was. Yeah. No, the fact that you spend time with a person, you think you know them, and they're like, "Oh, great!" Um, Surprise. Okay. <laughs> I've inspired a lot of people to do crazy things over the years, but that's so, you know, I've, I've been settled down for a while now, so it's not so insane. But back in the day, yeah, um, crazy stuff that. would happen. Yep, yep. <laughs> I was, I was, I was living in New York at the time, and lots of crazy stuff going on up there. But anyway, yeah. uh, New York City. Which, uh, for next question for you, which comes first um, for you, the plot or the characters?
1: Characters, definitely. Um, you know, Stephen and Olivia came first, look, for all the reasons that I just said. Um, and um, then I created the mystery uh, to kind of support, you know, they're at the core their relationship and friendship is at the core of the series. And then, you know, they're sort of wrapped in a mystery where, you know, usually one or two people get killed. And in the first book, Doorway to Murder, there's the big bank robbery as well. And then, you know, once I get started, I've got multiple plot lines because I've got the story arc with Stephen and Olivia's friendship. Then I always have some sort of a time travel story arc Um, how she interacts and, and, you know, may or may not affect things when she goes back in time. Um, Then, of course, you know, the investigation, the mystery plot. So I've got multiple layers there. Um, With the second book, I I thought of killing off um, just a miserable, cheating, crummy sort of person. Um, I, I made him into the town ladies' man who you know, had affairs in, in, in one night stands and flings and, you know, didn't treat his wife <laughs> nice at all. And, you know, the character that you like to hate. So it was wonderful creating four women around him. So once I got that idea that he was the guy I wanted to poison and get rid of, I had a lot of fun creating four completely different women. And the challenge was why are some of these smart, independent women drawn to such a creep, you know? And how could somebody um, believe his lies for decades, you know? So that was a lot of fun. And the third one, Death Rang the Bell, the new one, that took me completely by surprise because I was in London for a few weeks celebrating my 65th birthday with one of my friends. Our birthdays are a month apart. And I said, you know, let's, let's just go to England for a few weeks and celebrate. So we had a grand old time. And one of the things that we did was we visited uh, Churchill's war rooms. Um, It's the bunker underneath London, where he basically ran World War II, the European, you know, um, theater, where he ran the war from. And um, it's really well done. I had been there probably a half a dozen times before I actually went and I wish I had gone sooner, highly recommended. But anyway, after our visit, um, you know, we looked around in the gift shop and I found a book which was um, incorporated the exhibit with a lot of history. I don't normally buy those kind of books, but this was very well done. So I was standing there flipping through it and I stopped dead at a photograph It was almost an out-of-body experience. Here we are with Halloween again. But I, there was a person, I'm gonna try to avoid saying gender here. There was a person in this photograph that just stopped me cold. I immediately knew the name, the background, the history, the childhood, the motive for murder, the whole entire book flashed through my mind in like 30 seconds, boom. And there it was, I wrote death rang the bell around that photograph. Ooh, wow. Yeah. That's so good. I, yeah, it, it was, it was a gift really. I mean, because I had some ideas for the third book, but I wasn't quite sure. And that just, everything just tumbled into place. So, um, so anyway, back to characters, I create, uh, I keep, a uh, character dossier on all the primary and secondary characters. I'll mention the tertiary characters, but I don't flesh them out. So for all the characters, I have several pages of um, birthday, address, um, childhood, um, work history, school history, um, family, extended family, friends, neighbors, um, their, their, their deepest desires, their worst fears, Um, everything you can possibly think of are in those dossiers for each of them. Um, so that's actually something I'm going to work on a little in the next couple of months. I want to, um, organize them a little bit better. Um, so yeah, characters are actually my main focus for me when I'm reading, it's all about the characters. If I don't care about the characters, uh, you know, if they don't grab me. Um, the best plot in the world, I'm not gonna care. Mm -hmm. That's me personally, Yeah, everybody's different, but yeah, it's always the characters for me.
0: Cool. Yeah, your characters do come through um, pretty clearly, so that's that's not surprising (laughs) as someone who's read your books multiple times. Thank thank you, (laughs) thanks. (laughs) Um, So next question, has anything you've written surprised you? In other words, you had no idea something was gonna happen and it showed up on the page. Well, I'm not yeah. even going to, I mean, I'm. every answer has been this. So I'm sure <laughs> So you have to think of a specific example. I'm sorry. Every answer you've given has been like, oh, everything just came to me out of, you know, it's, it seems like you're constantly surprised. So I'll be curious to see what you, what you Well,
1: <laughs> and this one, um, yeah, I don't know. It might sound a little contradictory. Um, my surprise has been with. Well, let me back up for a second. What I do in terms of writing, um, I spend months with the book and the characters in my head. And before I sit down to start plotting, I pretty much have a a good idea of what the whole book is gonna be about. So I will plot extremely detailed um, notes for about half of the book. And then I sort of fly by the seat of my pants and let the characters take over. In every single book, the person I intended to be the killer and the person I planned on being the killer wasn't, you know, either two thirds of the way through or all the way to the end. I mean, as in the way I write them, not the end. I have been, oh my goodness, that person didn't do it. It was this one. And that has been the most fun thing because like coming back to the dossiers, I set them up to be a certain kind of person. And when I'm setting it up, I'm not thinking that this person is necessarily going to be my, I don't necessarily think of the qualities I'm giving them in terms of being the killer. I think of motives for murder and why that person could kill somebody. And once they start acting on their own and taking off they do things true to themselves that's kind of unconscious or subconscious to me because I know them and I know how they're acting I know why they're acting and then all of a sudden I'll say oh my goodness it was this one that was the stronger motive or they were lying here or something you know um So, yeah, maybe I don't know him as well as I think, but, um, but yeah, I was surprised at the end of each one and then I went with it and just made it, you know, rewrote it like a few more times to make that work. And, um, it's always been a better book Yeah. when that character ended up, you know, doing the deed, it was always better than what I had originally thought always.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think um, that happens to me a lot too when I'm working oh, on cool. something. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I had, um, um, in my first novel, I had, a, I have two, two, it's an actress and a chef that live together. They're best friends. They work together. And, uh-huh. I, you know, you don't have, you don't usually walk around your house telling your kind of newer friend, like, oh, you know remember when I was in third grade so I wanted to give her I wanted to give the actress a so she would have someone to talk to about shared experiences growing up so they would have oh yeah right of, give her some kind of context hmm. so he Max was just her brother her half brother her father has met multiple families over the years so it's one of her half brothers and um she he was just supposed to be just showing up once in a while to give give her a reason to talk about stuff <laughs> and then all of a sudden he became everyone loved Max and I was thinking, oh, he was just supposed to be, he was just a device that I was using to um, help <laughs> to flush out the care. But everyone's like, like, what's going on with Max? He's he's just fun and sexy and like, yeah. So then it ended up being, I think my fourth or fifth book is a is a Max story focusing on something that's happening to him. So but it was just kind of funny. That surprised me. I thought, oh, okay, well, here we go. I'm just just, you know, was not meant to be a main character. I ended up being a main character. So that was kind of fun. But I, I know how that because you, your brain thinks. It's almost like if you know you're trying to shine a light in an entire room at once, and you can't always do that. To you turn on all the floodlights, and you're kind of walking through a house, turning on the lights. and You can't the whole house isn't lit until the whole house is lit, and then you see every you corner. Go, yeah. And then you say, oh, this ha- it makes more sense to have this happen in this room, kind of thing. So yeah, my, I use a house analogy a lot of times, but um, yeah, that's uh, that's cool. Very good.
1: Yeah. it's fun. I mean, it's fun. I have um a little uh, a quotation um framed. Um, over uh, my desk on my desk and it says um, no I don't know remember which order it is it's Robert Frost no tears in the writer no tears in the reader no surprise in the writer no surprise in the reader and I have found that to be true there's a scene in Threshold of Deceit that every time the first time I wrote it plus every time I edited, edited it I cried I, I could not help it. I mean, I found myself with tears going down my face and every time I rewrote it, I thought, well, you're not going to go through that again. And I did. And, and, you know, so that's wonderful because I've had readers say they were surprised at the ending and they cried at a certain part of one of the books. Um, Each of the books, actually, I've had people say they cried at something in each one of the books. So that's great. I mean, it, it doesn't get better than that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I was thinking
0: of, um, I'm, <laughs> I have to write a, I've been asked to write a short story for an anthology and they, they wanted to be funny. And the person that's putting it together, she said, well, you know, you're hilarious in real life, but you don't really write funny. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not funny. So I'm really trying to be funny. And, um, but she was just, was being very honest. <laughs> She's like, yeah, you're, you're just not funny in writing in person yeah. i can't stop laughing so um yeah so i'm really focusing on the humor thing but i was sitting on my couch and i was making notes and i just laughed out loud at something i thought of that will happen in the story and uh, my family is, um not quite putting me in an institution yet but they're getting close to, like, to start <laughs> they're, randomly they're laughing <laughs> <Yeah>. randomly <laughs> laughing on the couch by yourself in the quiet room okay good <laughs> so, yeah that's that's the writing life they just sort of walk by and look at me like okay what's going on with her today um <laughs> you never know something is always yeah. going on yeah so your fifth question is this is always mm-hmm. a little bit off the wall off the writing questions but um they're kind of fun if you could invite one famous writer to
1: dinner who would it be and why um it would be agatha christie um for me she started it all um she started well i read nancy drew and i loved all those but when i started reading agatha christie that began my lifelong love of mysteries. And of course now, not only reading, but writing them. Um, I also on a a professional level, not from a writing point of view, um, she started so many of the um, things that are still done today. The unreliable narrator, um, the, the person who is not what they seem to be, um, you know, multiple. Well, I don't think I'm doing a spoiler with Murder on the Orient Express, you know, um, you know. Wait, I mul- haven't read it yet. It's only been out. Yeah, exactly. Years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like Murder on the Orient Express, where everybody did it. I mean, she started so many of those things that are, are still, you um, popular and and nobody's gotten sick of them and you know everybody's still doing today so I would like to talk with her about her process and that sounds a little technical but really I would just like to find out um, how she uh, how she actually writes the book does how much does she plot and how does she plot and how does she um um do her revisions and add the layers and a lot of the same questions that I'm asked when people want to know how I write, you know, does she color code things? Does she make charts? Does she do timelines? You know, all that kind of real nitty-gritty hands-on, you know, details. Um, and in, it, something was kind of funny when, um, back to this London trip, um, I always... You know, she, um, she modeled Bertram's Hotel in the book, in the Miss Marple at Bertram's Hotel on Brown's in London. You know, it's, it's a classy, um, iconic hotel with a tea room. And she used to go there for tea all the time. So I told my girlfriend when we were going for our birthdays, let's really splurge because it's really expensive. Let's really splurge on high tea at Brown's. So we did. You know, we dressed up and so forth and so on, made the reservations. And the table that we were given, I happened to be sitting facing her spot the waiter actually told us, he said, by the way, I must have said something about, you know, Agatha Christie or Bertram's or whatever. And he he, he pointed to this settee, a velvet settee against a wall, right in my view, like it was the next table over. She said, he said, that was her spot. And that just thrilled me to think that we were sitting there having tea. And, you know, a few decades ago, she was sitting there uh, frequently having tea. So yeah, I she is my idol, I guess you would say. She's one of my favorite writers. She's one of my go-to uh, authors. I own all her books. I have read every one multiple times. I have all the DVDs with David Suchet <laughs> and um, Joan Hickman. Um, I just love them, and every time I watch one of those, or every time I read one, um, I see something new. I mm-hmm. see something new. Yeah. So, yeah, I think she's the best. She would be my choice, hands down. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's the um. Sure, she's enduring you know, and stronger than ever. I mean, there you know, new editions, of books coming out, and you know, there's Mouse yeah, Domestic*. So where we, yeah, we celebrate the traditional mystery, and we reference her. As the the one we're holding up at that convention, and we give out the Agatha Award, so
1: exactly, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. Yeah. She's yeah.
0: gonna, she lives forever. She's gonna live forever. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's cool. That's a good answer. And you, then you had a really <laughs> well thought out reasoning. So, say, wow. <laughs> you know, I don't know anybody, and then say, yeah I just thought it'd be cool.
1: Yeah, so, very
0: good. Well, that sounds like a fun trip you guys had too. Very yeah, good. it was.
1: It was. It was yeah. a blast.
0: I can't wait to go places again. I'm supposed to go to England twice next year. I'm scheduled for two things. So hopefully they they hold together.
1: Oh, yeah. Fingers crossed.
0: Yeah. Let's just, you
1: know, it's enough. enough. It's enough already. (laughs) It's enough of not doing things. Well, this was the year I was supposed to go on the Orient Express with one of my girlfriends. Um, That's number one on my bucket list. And we're going to spend some time in Prague. And I said, before that, let's, let's do the Orient Express for one or two nights. That's all I can afford. Yeah. And she said, yes. So, um, yeah, we're going to get a new wardrobe because we'll be dressing to the nines. And, uh, I can't wait. Like I said, that's, that's the number one thing on my bucket list. I can't wait for the world to settle down again.
0: Yeah, for sure. That'll be, that'll be cool.
1: Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
0: All right. Rapid fire quiz. You ready? Sure. Okay. Number one, beach or mountains? Mountains. Yeah. Okay.
1: I don't like hot weather.
0: <laughs> and I, I, I was going on on about living in Fort Lauderdale, yeah, in Miami. We're,
1: we're opposite that way. Give me the cold, give me the snow, give me the icebergs <laughs> and glaciers. Yeah. I know I'm yeah. for sure I'm a, I prefer, I mean, I like to go,
0: I used to, I used to ski a lot um, in high school and college age and a um, uh, guy i, I dated all the way through college. Um, his parents owned a place up in Vermont and uh, owned like a bed and breakfast.
1: Vermont's so beautiful. we would go
0: up and ski up there all the time. And that was really fun, but I'm like, I'll ski for like a little bit, but I don't wanna ski all day long. Like it's too cold. <laughs> to
1: yeah. Well, the best part of skiing is, is the fire in yeah. the lodge afterwards and the hot
0: toddies. <laughs> yeah, I would go down like twice and then they'd wanna, they're like, all right, time. It. I'm like, no, it's time for me to sit down inside and warm up and have some hot toddies and I'll see you at the end of the day. Cause I was done. Okay. Um, the beach, beach, I'll sit all day long. Like they have to, you have to pull me off the beach. So I am not a, I don't mind the cold weather but I don't wanna like, you know, endure it for many,
1: many hours yeah. at a time. Like what, I'm not crazy. Well, um, I spent a couple of weeks in Egypt some years ago in the Sahara Desert. And luckily I was still, I still tolerated the heat then because by the time we got down to Aswan we took a boat down the Nile and ended up near the Sudanese border. And, um, by the time we got down, there it was 132 and, you know, like I said, back then I tolerated the heat. I don't think I could do it now. So I'm glad I did that trip already. Yeah. I'm not, I don't think you're supposed to be tolerating 132. <laughs> I think That's, no. da- that's
0: dangerous. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I ran my first half marathon about five years ago and I was training. It was a early fall one. So I was training all through the summer. And oh. if it was ninety five degrees, and I'm out running, and everyone everyone's like, "Are you insane?" I'm like, no, I love. I don't mind it at all. You know, I like. Yeah. I really like the heat."
1: Um, yeah.
0: And it was, I felt like it was making me sweat harder, and I felt good, and it was yeah, I don't mind, I don't mind it. But I do live south. I live south of Mason Dixon. Although Maryland is pretty temperate, like it's Florida's hot. I mean, it's just hot. Just you're not getting, you're not going to get not hot <laughs> there. But here, it's sort of like, it's it's not. You know, it's just mild. But we get yeah. snow. We and we also get really b- big heat and but nothing ever lasts longer than about six weeks. If you can tolerate anything for six weeks, you're good. I don't oh, think I could be in upstate New York or New England where it's just like, well, that was a fun summer of eight weeks and now we're done and <laughs> it's gonna snow the rest of the year. No, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, I like to visit it, but I don't wanna live there. Um, so cake or pie?
1: Pie. Pie? Yeah, I don't oh. care for cake at all. Really? Unless it's cheesecake, yeah. If it's cheesecake or carrot cake, but just regular cake, it just luckily there's one sweet thing that does not appeal to me Yeah, right (laughs) you know ask me about cookies and candy and pastries but thank god there's one thing that i don't like
0: yeah you can because cake is generally the thing they whip out for every occasion you know so you can be like oh no i mustn't you know that's not even a big deal you can act like you're all virtuous and stuff yeah
1: i'm so strong i can resist yeah yeah. everyone
0: (laughs) thinks you're like the most
1: resolute person yeah um are you a morning person or night owl morning. Yeah. 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 When, when I was teaching, I was up at five because I have an exercise routine that I do every day. Um, and it, when I first retired, I did sleep in a bit, but I'm up at six or six 30 again now and, you know, working all day, but no, I, I love mornings. I do. It's the beginning of a new day. It's a fresh start. Yeah. I love coffee. Oh, well, that's one of your questions, I think. But, um, in any case yeah mornings for sure
0: yeah i like i do love sleeping um but i I just feel i get so much more accomplished if i just get up and start doing stuff at around six five or six because um it sounds awful when you first start doing it it is awful but then after you get into the swing of it it's like anything else um it's a routine but it's just so quiet because as you know i get a million emails and (laughs) text messages and yeah pings and tweets and this and that and that just starts right around nine or 10 o'clock it starts building and then it's like a frenzy until about five and then it's over but then nobody's nobody's doing any of that at five in the morning so that's a good it's good time for for me i find it a good time to concentrate on projects and things like it's just there's no noise at that time and there's no family members making noise either in your house (laughs) like usually so which is a big part of it i need this i need that like yeah 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 i know i understand okay uh dogs or cats
1: cats yeah yeah i'm allergic to dogs so that oh. makes me um tend to not like them because <laughs> you know i really i have to they might kill you. Away, <laughs> the results of them getting near me you know are not fun um i've never owned a cat because you know i i grab my suitcase and and leave for any amount of time at the drop of a hat even when i was teaching i'd you know take off for a weekend or whatever so that wouldn't be fair to an animal Um, but I do like cats a lot if I owned something it would be a cat and I put a cat in the books I gave Olivia a cat
0: so Mm -hmm. cats are cool living vicariously yeah yeah well that's cool you can have a fictional pet that you because people probably assume you have a cat because you write about one you know people people kind of conflate your fiction with your real life sometimes yeah yeah it could be yeah I've been offered um, chef positions um, now and I I haven't worked in a kitchen in at least 15 years I mean I've catered and stuff but yeah. i like, no, I don't think I'm qualified. <laughs> my, my, my chef is my chef went to culinary school. I did not like real yeah, restaurants they're... in New York, like asked me if I would come up and audition. I'm like, I don't think you have the right person. I don't think you, know you, you don't talk.
1: really want me to audition. <laughs> no, what do you mean? I'm a
0: toddler. No, no, I can't do that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, coffee or tea.
1: Yeah. Coffee Unless, except for when I'm in England, then I drink you know tea the way the British do, but I love espresso and I, I, I was drinking too much every day and I had to cut it with a little bit of decaf, but I use a French press, the standard size, which is, I don't know, several cups. And I drink two of them a day. That's a lot of espresso. Um, Yeah, I know. I just, I love it. I mean, you know, (laughs) I love it. And, you know, I've checked with doctors, like, am I hurting myself in some way? And they've said, "Well, can you sleep at night? Yeah, no problem. I fall asleep like a baby. Well, then go ahead and enjoy it. Okay." Yeah, you don't feel and jittery or anything. All day long.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not, well, you'd have to if you're drinking two carafes of it. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. It's a lot of caffeine.
1: It do is. You,
0: do you feel jittery or like shaky no. or anything? Oh, really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, I you know I think everyone processes things differently. Um, yeah, and I do think you know we you talked about some allergies and stuff, and I, I just think we're all sort of like. Because my grandparents would have a cup of coffee after dinner every single night, and um, go to bed. You know, they would stay yeah. up and watch Johnny Carson, but they would go to bed. But I like if I have a cup, I look at the clock every time. I have like two in the morning, and then maybe one extra one if I have a bunch of editing, because editing can be, it may, you know it can be drowsy um, inducing. So, but I won't drink it afternoon because I won't be able to sleep. And that's I, I go to bed at like nine ten o'clock at night, and that's a long time. Yeah. You know that I should be yeah. able to work it out of my system. And I can't, you know,
1: what you said about each person processes, processes it differently made me think um, I was in Budapest at one time. Um, The guy that I usually travel with, he um, lives in Istanbul and he had to go to Budapest um, to represent Turkey at an EU conference or something. And so he called and said, what are you doing next week? You know, meet me in Hungary. So, okay. So he had a day of meetings um, during this time. And I took off by myself and then we met up later on. And he said, let's go out for dessert and coffee. So by the time we went out and finished eating, it was like nine, 10 o'clock. We had espresso, we had um, a chocolate dessert with multiple layers of (laughs) darker and richer and darker and richer chocolate. And I looked at him and I said, oh my God, we are never going to sleep tonight. And I fell asleep like a baby, did not bother <laughs> me at all. So you're right. I must have some weird kind of system that mm-hmm. somehow, just exactly what you said, it processes it differently. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Cause some people, you know, my family, you know, they can throw them back and uh, drinking alcohol. That's like, some people are like, I can have like two and I'm like Phew. some of my family members start with to like in the morning and then they keep going, (laughs) they're fine. It's like, I don't understand. But we all have different um, systems that I play. I don't do that, by the way. These are like like old, like extended family, people that I don't live with. Um, But yeah, so it's Irish, it's an Irish thing. So yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's like, um, maybe you shouldn't be doing that first thing in the morning. Um, Yeah, yeah, so, but who am I to judge? I just do my own thing.
1: Well, Um, hey, when I was living in France, I'd be walking to school in the morning and there are older men out in the cafes having coffee, but many having a drink of something. I don't remember yeah. now, it's so long ago, mm-hmm. but it's what you are used to in one sense. And it's your system in another sense. Yeah.
0: I mean, I like a good mimosa on, on Sunday brunch. I mean, there you I, go. I don't, I don't, yeah. I'm not judging. And Bloody Marys are fun too. No,
1: no, um, I'm with you on the
0: mimosas. Yeah, they're fun. They're and they're you know they are they just go with the brunch. They go with brunch, and it's it's around noon. It's fine. Yeah, um, perfect. Yeah. See, oh, I used well, I sold wine and spirits for a while. Um, I was a liquor rep and a wine rep, so I would go to restaurants and um, bars and country clubs and golf courses and things like that, and ta- taste wines and consult on wine lists and things like that. Right. And I would walk into some, you know, not that so much the country clubs. I would walk into some bars. I'm like, people are. I can't believe people are here drinking. I like that in the morning, when it opened. I mean, it's like, well, they're open. What else is there? What else are people doing in here? And I just, but I was like really surprised um, at the level of business that people, bars have all day long.
1: So it's, yeah. just, it's just part of it. You know, it's part of it. Yeah, it's well, great. you know, and it's it depends. Um, I think it's it's in certain cultures too. You yeah. know, when I was living in France, you know, they have the long, Lunch break from 12 to 2, and it's their main meal of the day. So, um, you know, being in Marseille, kids basically could go home, and a lot of the teachers could go home. But the, uh, I mean, they had a gourmet chef at, at, in the school cafeteria. So I bought a meal plan. I wasn't going to go home and throw something <laughs> together myself, and plus save the time, you know. So <clears throat> the first time I walked into the faculty dining room, not lunch room, it was the building, the school was this old building that had been the American consulate during the Revolutionary War or the, um, the Revolutionary, yeah, the Revolutionary War um, or the French Revolution. I remember one of the two. Anyways, crystal chandelier, beautiful china, you know, linen napkins and carafes of wine on the table for the teachers mm-hmm. in the middle of the school day. Yeah. yeah and everybody had a glass or two with lunch and went back to the classroom. Yeah,
0: very civilized. Well, you know, and I lived in New York, and I was a salesperson. I uh, worked for. Um, I was calling on Fortune five hundred companies, and it was it was in mid midtown, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. And to take a client out for lunch, my boss told me um, always order a glass of wine, um, so they feel comfortable to do it too. Right. That was part of it, but um, yeah, it's just it's a sophisticated way of living, and they I think the French do it right. They take their food very seriously, and they're you know and it's just part of their culture like you said but they also don't have as much um alcoholism or stress
1: levels there so
0: obviously it's you know some of the people that have lived the longest time drink a glass of red wine a day and eat a lot of olive oil and don't have a job that stresses them out every day (laughs) you can take they take long walks you know so that that is a Mediterranean way of living is um it's that's why it's popular it's you know something to be said for it and yeah Yeah. I love a nice glass of wine and I when I go out for lunch with um I still have all a glass of wine at lunch with my friends and stuff because that's what you do. Yeah, I do too. <laughs>
1: yeah, Yeah. Nice. And I mean, you know, the kids over there were not, you know, wine or, well, beer, but alcohol, but mostly wine, you know, was not forbidden. So there was no, there was none of this, you know, sneak in your father's bottle behind the garage, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, kids from teenage on could, could have it nobody cared and they learned how to drink responsibly yeah that i think is a good way to do it yeah you don't make it forbidden and so it doesn't have that allure and you learn at home the proper way to do it yeah the minute you tell somebody they can't have something that's the one that's
0: the one thing yeah yeah that's what what they want yeah we've got a very puritanical way of doing things here that's, you know we are humanizing yeah, things and it's yeah it's just yeah European living is uh there's something to be said for it that's for sure yeah so what's going on with
1: you next what are you up to um I'm going to organize some files so that I'm a little more efficient uh, with um on my author page on Facebook I post pictures from the books. Uh, clothes Olivia's wearing, the cars, the people are driving, advertisements and magazines and stuff like that. And I've it, it sort of got out of hand, so I'm gonna do some organizing so I can post more often because they're fun. you know, if somebody's reading the book, oh, what is this sweater Olivia's wearing? Yeah, you know, well, check my author page. maybe the picture's on there today. Cool. Um, so I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna work on my character dossiers and, the fourth book, um, as you said, it's called RSVP to Murder. And I decided to really challenge myself this time and hopefully I can pull it off. I'm going to write a classic English country house murder because I love those. And mm-hmm. since my books take place in the thirties anyway, it's the right time. So instead of the English country house, I'm using a great camp in the Adirondacks. And for people who don't know about the great camps, they're, um, they were owned by wealthy people like the Rockefellers and the Vanderbilts. So they're not camps at all. They're luxurious um, lodges, call them that, with multiple buildings. So I'm using Sagamore as my um, model. So Stephen and Olivia are invited to a weekend Christmas party It'll be the last book that takes place in 1934. The next one goes into a different time, um, and of course, somebody is murdered. And of course, there's—it's the middle of a blizzard, so they are, you know, shut off from um, anyone from the, the village and so forth. And one of the people in the family says to Stephen, you know, even though this is not your jurisdiction. jurisdiction Please start looking for clues. Preserve the crime scene so that when the police can get here, we can find out, you know, who done it. Basically, mm-hmm. so um, I'm reading books on. Uh, well, I'm reading Martin Edwards, you know, the the great uh, classical golden age of fiction, crime fiction, and um, reading lots of English country house mysteries to get all that you know, so I get in the zone, shall we say. Yeah. Well, that's good. And then I'll, you know, plot it out and, you know, I work on it in my mind every day and I'll be putting things. I have the cast of characters. I have them all set. Cool. But I'm working on the plot now. Nice. Well,
0: good luck. That'll be fun. Thanks. Thanks. Um, Well, thanks for coming on the show. It was fun to chat with you.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This was really fun.
0: Yeah, that's good. We have a good time here. Of course. Yeah. Well, um I will talk to you soon and thanks again.
1: All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.